Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. Today we are in week three of our sermon series called At the Movies. And as you guys know, um, what we're doing in this series is using the power of movies to help bring to light some of the teachings of the Bible in practical, concrete kind of ways to not only help us understand these themes and truths in deeper ways, but also maybe to catch a glimpse of what it looks like to go out and live these teachings in our own lives. So what I would like to do this morning with a bit of help from the movie St. Vincent, and if you've never seen this movie, I would encourage you to go see it. It's, it's not child appropriate, but it is very good, and I would encourage you to see it. It's to show you how that even if you don't have it all figured out, or even if you're one of those people who tend to, to, to get it wrong over and over again, especially when it comes to your faith, how God can use you in spite of all those flaws to do great things for his kingdom. And the way I want to show you this is to get into the double meaning behind why the Gospel of Mark calls Simon, one of Jesus' main disciples, Peter, or calls Simon the rock. So we begin in, in Mark 3, 13 through 19, and it says this, Jesus went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named the apostles, to be with him, and sent them out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaan, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, on first plus, what's going on in this section of scripture that most of us just jump over, right? Because it is kind of boring. It's just a list of names. Is that... Right after Jesus begins his ministry, he calls 12 disciples, one of which Simon is included in that. And what you need to know about disciples in general is disciples are basically students that follow a particular teacher, a particular rabbi, to learn everything that that teacher has to teach. So that after they've learned everything that they need to teach, or after the rabbi is gone, they can go out and continue that same work. They can continue to take that message to the world. So what Jesus seems to be doing here is he's called these 12 men together to teach them everything that he can teach them in turn so they can go out and take what he has and spread it to the rest of the world. Which is made even clearer by the Gospels also calling the 12 disciples the apostles. Now we kind of use that interchangeably, but there's a, a, a different meaning here. So apostolos in Greek means to be sent out with a message. So that shows you what the disciples are going to do after Jesus is gone. Now, while keeping all of that in your mind, next what I want to do is to take you a bit deeper into this list of the 12 to see what it has to teach us, not only about Simon Peter, but about a couple of other disciples. So again, Mark says this, so Jesus appointed the 12, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. Now, oftentimes when people read this verse, they automatically think about how in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus names or renames Simon Peter with Peter here meaning rock, right? 
Because Simon Peter is going to become the rock or the foundation upon which the whole church is built. That's what people normally think about when they think about Simon Peter, Peter meaning rock here. Matthew 16, 18 through 19 says it in this way. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So according to the gospel of Matthew, Part of the reason why Jesus is called Simon Peter or the rock is because Simon does go on to play this huge role in the foundation of the church. He is one of the leaders. He is a foundational piece to the church as it begins to grow and thrive in the first century. But even with all of that being true, I now want to show you why I believe that Peter is the foundation of the church is only part of why Simon is called Peter. Or how there's a kind of double meaning behind why Simon is referred to as the rock. And it's going to make you feel a whole lot better about yourself, by the way. But to do that, we're going to have to go to Bible Nerdland to get a bit technical. How many of you guys get excited about Bible Nerdland? Anybody? <laughs> Four people. All right, the rest of you check out for a moment and I'll call you back, okay? Now, what you begin to notice as you read back through Jesus' list of disciples with a critical eye is that along with Simon, there are a couple of other disciples where Mark gives us more information about them than just their names or the families they belong to. You have James and John, the sons of thunder. You have Simon the Canaan, and then you also have Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, what you'll begin to notice as you look into what this added information tells us about who these disciples are, is that the information that is given here, it's not flattering. But instead, is information that points out flaws or something these disciples got wrong. With James and John, the sons of thunder, this is clearly a reference to the time that these brothers asked Jesus if they should call down fire on people, right? Luke tells it in this way. This is, it's a crazy story, but it's one of my favorite stories because it like comes out of blue. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, talking about Jesus here, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for his arrival. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? What? <laughs> right? Have you guys read this before? I mean, it's crazy. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Or apparently, the way James and John thought Jesus should go about dealing with people who didn't receive him was by calling down fire from heaven. With fire here from heaven being a reference to lightning, right? And where there is lightning, there is thunder. Or this seems to be why James and John are called the sons of thunder, which, by the way, is not a good thing, because what does Jesus do when they say that? He turns and rebukes them. Next, there's the other Simon, Simon the Canaan. And what Canaan is a reference to in Greek is that this Simon was a zealot or this Simon belonged to a, a group of Jewish fanatics, some might even call terrorists, who were willing to do any and everything in their power, including killing and assassinating important people to set their people free from Roman oppression, which of course is not the way Jesus rolls. It's not the way Jesus taught his disciples to go about spreading the kingdom. So again, this is not a compliment. And then last but definitely not least, this list mentions Judas, and we all know what Judas did, right? He sold out the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. 
So what that tells us about Simon being called the rock in this list is that it's probably not the case. That that rock here is just a reference to Simon being the one upon which God is going to build his church. But it's also a reference to something that Peter got wrong, something that Peter missed. Because that's how this list works. That's the context that's going on here in this list. And this is where things start to get really good, so you guys want to lean in on this deal. Yeah. No, no, no. Lean in. Come on, everybody. Now, according to one of the New Testament scholars that I had the privilege to study under in seminary, it is a little known fact that Peter in the ancient world was not just a name given to particular people, but it was also an insult or a put down. And that if you called someone Peter, you were pointing out that they were a bit slow or had a hard time understanding something. Or in the same way we talk about people who don't get it today as thick-headed or dumb, calling someone Peter in the ancient world was like saying, your skull is like a rock. You're just not getting it, right? Which, by the way, is spot on when you go and look and see who Peter was in the Gospels. Because what you will find Simon doing over and over again is he just doesn't get it. And that even though he is with Jesus every step of the way, witnessing all the miracles, listening to all of his teachings, we find Peter missing the point or being rock-headed over and over and over again. For example, right after Jesus tells his disciples for the first time that he's going to suffer and die and then be raised from the dead, we find Peter doing this. He took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Or Peter, because he is convinced that Jesus is wrong, takes Jesus to the side and begins to rebuke him. Or another way to think about this, which I think is pretty funny, Peter has a come-to-Jesus meeting with Jesus himself. (laughs) You guys are catching the irony there? I mean, he completely missed it in this story. Then there's the time where after Peter tells Jesus that that he would give his life, give his everything, he's never going to betray him, then goes on to betray Jesus a total of three times. And then he also says this at the very end to kind of put the period behind the sentence. He says, and he began to curse and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you're talking about. Or Peter basically says something like, I swear to God. I swear on my mother's grave. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. I do not know this man. So he doesn't just betray him. He swears to God he doesn't know him. But my favorite example of Peter acting rock-headed comes from the Gospel of John where Peter, after seeing the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes, right? He was dead and now he's alive forevermore. His response is not to go out, first of all, and begin to proclaim this good news to the world. No, his first response is to go back home and do what he has been doing his whole life before Jesus showed up. Or there's this great line in the Gospel of John that says, I'm going fishing. That's Peter's response to the resurrection at least at first. So for me, what all of that makes pretty darn clear, that a part of what the Gospel of Mark is trying to point out about Peter being called Simon or Peter being called the rock is that Simon is also, or Peter is also a reference to to Peter being dull, right? He's being rock-headed. I mean, I I absolutely love this image, right? You have this rock-headed guy This guy who's not getting things figured out, this guy continues over and over again. But then you have this image of he is the one who then goes on to build the church. 
Now, before some of you get up and walk out because I've just called Jesus' main disciple a rockhead, right? Let me show you what's actually going on here and why this is good news for us. Why there is hope in here. Why this is absolutely brilliant. So what I believe is going on in this double meaning behind calling Simon the rock is that Simon Peter was not one of those holier-than-thou people who spent his life getting everything right. He wasn't one of those people who just got it and everything came natural to him. And so that's why Jesus chose him. He was somehow special. So Jesus chose him to build his church, right? To build upon him for the church. No, what I see in the rock-headedness of Simon is God taking this ordinary, average man who had good intentions and who got a whole lot of things wrong and using him in spite of his dullness to change the world. Or in a sense, God showing us that he can take any and every one and use them to do great things for his kingdom. Which also proclaims that, that if God can take someone like Simon, who clearly has issues with getting things figured out, who clearly has issues with getting things wrong over and over again, and he can use someone like that to change the world, or he uses him to be the rock upon which he's going to build his church. Don't you think God could use you as well? Don't you think God can take you in your rock-headedness and use you to do amazing things in this world if he can use someone like Peter? Don't you think God can take us modern-day rockheads? Anybody else feel like you're in the camp of the rockhead? Anybody? The rest of you who didn't raise your hands are liars. <laughs> right? If God can take someone like Peter and do that and build his church upon him, and we are here because of that today, God can use you to change the world as well. Or to give you a modern day picture of this, I share with you a short film clip from the movie St. Vincent. And what's going on in this particular clip is a young boy explaining why his seemingly deadbeat neighbor and babysitter is actually a saint. Or is one of those people like Simon Peter whom God chooses to use in spite of all of his flaws. And I hope this inspires you because this is how God works. Check this out. For my modern day saint, I chose a man who shares many of the same qualities as Saint William of Rochester. On the surface, one might think my saint is least likely candidate for sainthood. He's not a happy person. He doesn't like people and not many people like him. He's grumpy, angry, and mad at the world and I'm sure full of regrets. He drinks too much, smokes, he gambles, curses, lies, and cheats, and he spends a lot of time with the lady of the night. But that's what you see at first glance. After if you. you dig deeper, you'll see a man beyond his flaws. Mr. Vincent McKenna was born in 1946 in Sheepshead Bay, the son of first-generation Irish immigrants. Growing up poor on the streets of Brooklyn, Vincent learned all the things a kid shouldn't need to know, fighting, cursing, and gambling. In 1965, as a member of United States Army 5th Regiment, Vincent was among the 450 soldiers dropped into the Lodrang Valley and immediately ambushed by 2,000 enemy troops. There, he heroically saved the lives of two wounded officers pinned down by enemy fire and carried them to safety he was awarded the Bronze Star for his bravery. I imagine the best way I can tell you who Mr. Vincent McKenna is, is to tell you what he's done for me. 
When me and my mom first moved here, we knew no one. And Mr. McKenna took me in. When he didn't have to and most likely didn't want to. But he did it anyhow, because that's what saints do. We visited his wife, Sandy, of 40 years, who recently passed away. Vince done her laundry every week for the past eight years, long after she no longer recognized him. The saints never give up. He taught me how to fight, how to stand my ground and be brave, how to speak up and be bold, because saints fight for themselves and others so that they might be heard. He taught me how to gamble, horse racing, Kino, the over and under, which is a big reason why I'm grounded till I'm 18. <laughs> but in that, I learned how to take risks and go for broke, because in life, the odds can be stacked against you. This is Vin's cat, Felix, who eats gourmet cat food while Vin eats sardines. The saints make sacrifices. Yes, Mr. Vincent McKenna is flawed, seriously flawed, but just like all the other saints we studied. Because after all, saints are human beings, very human beings. Isn't that spot on about how life really works? So ultimately what I think that this brilliant move that the, the gospel of Mark is making that we don't oftentimes see because we're not scholars, right? We have to have people who have been digging in this. Is that we don't have any more excuses, do we? The, the main excuse I continue to hear people say to me over and over again about why they're not doing great things or why um, they're not getting involved in the church or things like that is because they say, well, I'm just not good enough. Or I've got this sin, I've got this flaw, and I've got to get that right before I can get involved, before I can do anything big. Well, what Peter shows us, what St. Vincent shows us, is that God is really, really good at taking ding-dongs like all of us, if we'll just show up, and using us to change the world, using us to do incredible things. We just have to learn to say yes. We just have to learn to get involved. Or may you come to know that just like St. Vincent and Simon Peter, that you, yes, even you, and all of your sins and flaws and rock-headedness are exactly who God is looking for to join him in this world-transforming work of causing his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's hard life if you do it, but it's absolutely beautiful playing your part and making a difference in the world. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today and we get to wrestle with this icon of the faith, Peter. This man who we wouldn't be here without him and all of his dedication as the rock upon which this church is founded. One of the main leaders in the early church that, that set everything else up so that this church could go out and do amazing things in the world. And oftentimes, oh Lord, we, we look at all that he did, all the goodness, and it is amazing what he did, and we want to celebrate that. But it's also the case that in Scripture we see his flaws. We see that he's a bit dull, a bit rock-headed, and yet still you use him to change the world. And if you can use someone like that, you can use me. You can use all of us sitting here today. So today, Lord, help us not to make any more excuses that we're not good enough Help us just say yes. Help us to understand that you can use us with all of our flaws to do great things in this world for your kingdom. It's in your name and for our sake that we make this prayer. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.